Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be here. How many of you, this is your first Easter Sunday here? Raise your hand. All right, me too. So, all right. So, <laughs> that's awesome. Deanna just, uh, she leaned over to me during worship. She's like, hey, this is our first Easter here. I'm like, really? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't even realize that. So, uh, it, it's great to be here. I'm super blessed, excited about the message this morning. Uh, so we're going to pray and uh, we'll get into the message. But um, in the meantime, if there's a Bible, around, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles available for you in the back of uh, some of the, the seats there. If you have a Bible, we are going to be in the book of Luke this morning, um, end of chapter 23, going into the uh, chapter of 24. So uh, let's pray this morning. Father, we just thank you this morning that we celebrate the meaning of, of life. Father, we want to also pray for every other church that uh, is gathered together this morning to, um, to represent Christ, to represent Jesus, what you have done. And Lord, so I, I pray on this day, it would be more than just um, a religious day, more than just a, a cultural day. Lord, we're asking that you would speak to us. We're praying that we would be able to uh, leave here this morning with a sense of purpose, a sense of what life is all about. We pray that we would be open by faith to what your Holy Spirit has to say. Help us to understand it. Help us to be open to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So uh, this morning, you know, I just think about Easter. Like, what is Easter all about? Uh, a couple of years ago, I was walking through Barnes & Noble over in Gilroy. And, and I saw this display and it really kind of blew me away because everything was decorated in uh, yellow and pink and pastels. Um, and, and I noticed, you know, I came to this table and it was a full table. And I was looking at the books. I just kind of walked around and I looked at the whole thing. And then I, I looked down to my, my son, Josiah, who was, he was probably about eight or nine at the time. And I said, hey, Josiah, what do you notice about this table? And he was kind of looking around at the table and he said, there's nothing about Jesus. And I said, you know what? You're right. I'm looking at every book, I'm looking at uh, every decoration, there were, there were chicks and bunnies in spring, and there were flowers and bees, but there was, there was nothing about Jesus. And so this morning, it's important that we understand that in the resurrection, when we consider what this day means, it's really all about Jesus' death, which if you were here on Good Friday, we looked at the crucifixion, and then this morning, we really celebrate the meaning of life, um, the resurrection, what is the resurrection? Why is it important? Is it, is it real? Does it make a difference in my life? In, in fact, when we think about the purpose of life, um, so I, I have 30 minutes to kind of like share on the, perp the meaning of life. And people look for a lifetime for that. Like what is life all about? And they're searching and, and they're wondering. And so I'm just praying that the Lord uh, helps us this morning to understand this because all of us, one of the things that we have in common whether you're a Christian or you're a skeptic or, or maybe, you know, this is all new to you, maybe you're visiting. One thing we have in common across the board for humanity is this. We're looking for purpose. We're looking for fulfillment. We're looking for satisfaction. Uh, if you remember, there was a Rolling Stone song. Some of you remember that song. I can't get no what? Okay, satisfaction. So either you remember it because you were there or you like oldies. So, um... <laughs> But our whole world is looking for satisfaction. What is this life all about? What, does, you know, what is my purpose? In fact, we think about significance and impact. We, 
We want to have a contribution to this life. And I think one of the things that we struggle with sometimes is, is my life significant? Um, they, they call something middle-aged crisis for a reason uh, because I, I think it's at that time in life where it's almost like thinking, well, what is life really about? You know, what is my contribution? What is my, my impact? You know, we look for the meaning of life in relationships, in, in people, and, and that's a part of it. It's not everything, but that's a part of it. People are important, and, you know, I, I think that at the end of a person's life, it's usually the people that we love that we think about the most. But I think there's also an aspect of hope. Do we have any kind of hope to offer? Do, is there anything worth living for? I remember being young, like at 14 years old, 15 years old. I was a freshman in high school. And I just remember going through a time when I was just trying to figure out, like, what is life all about? I remember sitting in my garage, just like it was yesterday. I still remember just looking up and saying, God, if you're there, not even knowing for sure if he was there, but God, if you are there, God, if you're real, then, then show yourself to me. You know, I want to know that. I want to have some kind of a, a hope. So this morning, as we consider life and what life means, I'm going to give you an opportunity, and I'm telling you ahead of time, to respond to the message. The message is a, a story. The incredible thing about this story that we are going to look at this morning is it's a true story. I don't know if you've ever been at a movie before or uh, you've read a book, and because you know it's a true story, it has more impact. I, I know that there are some movies, some books, some stories that you, you watch and you go, I can't believe that that is true. I mean, that is so unbelievable, and that's why there's a story out of it. The thing about this story is that in this true story, it is called the gospel. And the word gospel, maybe in religious circles, people know what that means, but it's... Um, it's a word that means good news. Uh, there's a lot of bad news today. You watch the news. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was super depressed, super depressed, just watching the news, just seeing what's going on in our world. And yet, the word gospel is the good news. And if, and I'm saying if, if this news is true, then really there's something that we have to do in response to it. See, if this news, this good news is true, then I'm going to ask you to respond if you believe in your heart that it's true. Number one, by receiving Christ into your life and being humble enough and bold enough to do that today. See, there's a, a humility that comes with saying, I don't have all the answers. A, a humility that, that comes with saying, God, I know that you're real, but I, I just humble myself before you. But there's a boldness in that as well. And I think it's so important that we have a bold faith the second thing is that some people, I'm going to ask to respond in faith by being baptized. This uh, is not a jacuzzi, you know, it's not for our breaks during the week, it's, um, it's a baptismal. And uh, actually the water was heated. Uh, in the past, uh, we've done sunrise service baptisms in the ocean on Easter Sunday at sunrise. So, um, man, if you got baptized then, then you're, you're like a hero, okay? But uh, today, it, it, means, it means just as much. And uh, this is a response to what God has done in your life. And if you would like to do that, then you'd have an opportunity to be baptized. And then the third way that I'm going to ask you at the end to respond is to consider how the resurrection motivates me to bring life into this world. Like, what does it mean for me? So the resurrection happened, and if it is true, what does that mean in how I live my life today? So this morning, I would like you to turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 23. And as you turn there, verse 50, 
Uh, we are going to look at the darkest night. Luke chapter 23, verses 50 through 56. We are going to begin by looking at Jesus' burial. It says, Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council. But he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. Now, usually the bodies of crucified criminals were, were left there to hang, to rot, to be eaten by birds and animals. Uh, it was a sign to the other people of this is what happens if you're a criminal. But because the Passover was coming, um, they didn't want the, the bodies hanging there to kind of mess up the Passover celebration. In fact, the Romans kind of appeased the Jewish people by saying, hey, we don't, we don't want to do that. We don't want to uh, make this a, a big deal. And so they, they kind of wanted to take all the bodies down. And you know what's really important for us to consider is this. I think that sometimes there's a desire to take the cross, there's a desire to take the crucifixion, there's a desire to take the ugly part of the Easter story, of the resurrection story, out of Easter. In fact, we would just want to be all happy and smile and drink the Kool-Aid and just say, hey, you know what, uh, everything is great. But you know what, the death of Jesus had everything to do with the resurrection. And so in this, I think it's important to know that while cultural traditions can be meaningful, some of them can be redeemed, religion does not bring life. Religion in and of itself is not going to bring us true life. It's more than religion. Well, we're going to, we're going to see that in a moment. The faith, true faith in Jesus is not about holding it together for appearance sake. See, Easter, this is great. I, I love it. You know, I love um, my little girls. I love having little girls because they get all dressed up and, man, it just melts your heart. Before I had little girls, I never thought I'd be into that. Man, I'm so into that. It is just the cutest thing in the world when they have dresses and they have bows. So it, it's a cool thing at Easter. Um, one of the few times that you will see me wearing a tie. Um, I remember when I first started to teach, uh, that was 22 years ago. I was a, a teacher at a high school 22 years ago, just a, a few years older than the seniors. And what I found out is when a student would come to deliver the message to the teacher, they would walk right by me. Then they'd look around and they would say, where's the teacher? And I would say, I'm the teacher. And they would say, you're not the teacher. And I'd say, no, I'm the teacher. I had to wear a tie every day my first year just so people knew I was the teacher. Um, but cultural tradition, whether it's getting dressed up or whether it's outward morality for appearance sake, that's, that's not going to save us. Um, the, the thing that will save us is what is called the crux of the matter. Have you ever heard that word, the phrase, the crux of the matter? The word crux is Latin for what? Cross. It's like the most important thing is the cross. This is central to everything that we believe and who we are. The next thing is we see a tomb. Crazy for Easter to think about a burial, to think about a tomb. It says in verse 55, as his body was taken away, um, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and they prepared spices and ointments uh, for uh, anointing his body. 
But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by the law. Now, we know from the other Gospels, the, the Gospels, that's the good news, the other accounts of Jesus. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the other Gospels actually name these women very explicitly over and over, gives their names. And I think that the authors gave their names over and over as if to say, because they were still alive at the time that the Gospels were written, at the time this account was written, it was almost like saying, hey, you know, um, you know, Simon was there and, and Bill was there and, you know, uh, different people were there and you could even ask them about it. Their names are listed right here. You want to talk to them about it? Ask them about it. They're, they're not anonymous witnesses. It, it, they didn't call, you know, anonymous hotline, you know, a, a, a witness like, hey, I, I saw something happen. I'm not going to give you my name. We have their names. We know who they are. And, and yet, in the midst of it, they had no idea that Jesus was going, was going to rise again. They wanted to prepare his body for what? For burial. Even though Jesus had told them over and over in the Gospels that, hey, I'm going to rise again, they, they didn't hear it. And I think that's important for us to know this morning. This was not something they expected. They didn't wake up like maybe you woke up this morning and said, it's Easter Sunday. They woke up depressed. They woke up thinking, today is the day that we bury our, our leader, our friend. Now, when we consider this tomb, we consider that even though they killed the Son of God in human flesh from Friday to Sunday, it must have been the darkest, darkest time in history. Just a, a feeling of, of hopelessness. And yet, even though they killed the Son of God, in reality, we know that it says that Jesus gave up his own life. He says, no one takes it from me. I lay my life down. And one of the things that we read is that Jesus, when it was time, he gave up his spirit. He breathed his last. He gave up the ghost, if you would. And I, I think that's important to know because none of us can say, okay, it's time, spirit, depart. Jesus was able to pick and choose his exact time. And so... Even though he did that, the question comes up, who is responsible? Because Jesus gave up his own life, but those who were involved in the crucifixion were still complicit. You know what complicit means? It means they were accomplices. They were, they were guilty of this crime. They were involved in it. They were personally accountable. The first people that were responsible were the Jews, and, and sometimes people blame the Jews. They weren't the only people that were responsible, but, but they were. Uh, they were religious leaders. They were very religious people, very moral people according to God's law. And I think it's important to understand that morality does not save us. We are not saved by being good. So this morning, please hear that. You're not saved by, hey, you know what? I've, I, I've strung together five weeks of church in a row. Um, I, haven't, I haven't done that big sin that has, has beset me for so long in, in like three days. You know, we don't, we don't live like that. And so sometimes when it comes to morality, it's that self-righteousness that says, I don't, I don't need a savior. I don't need to humble myself. I don't need to say, help God. I just need God to come into my life after I clean things up. And that was the, the mindset of religious people. You know who else was responsible for the death of Jesus was the Romans. Uh, remember Pilate. Pilate who tried Jesus. Um, in reality, Pilate was the one on trial. What did he say over and over? This man has done no wrong. 
In fact, he even did something symbolically. He said, I wash my hands of the blood of this man. And yet, what did his wife say? His wife told him, hey, you just did something wrong. Nightmares. I mean, just this incredible sense of guilt from doing that. Yeah, it was the Romans. And, and you know what? The Romans, they were, they were very secular in many ways. Yeah, they had some religious stuff of their own, but, but they were responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus also. But you know who else was responsible? You and me. Now, maybe this morning that offends you and you're thinking, well, how, how in the world was I responsible 2,000 years ago? They had nothing to do with me. You and I are complicit also, and the reason why we are complicit, the reason why we are responsible, remember that when Jesus was um, hanging on the cross, not only did he not commit a crime, he had done nothing wrong, but what he was doing was he was taking our punishment upon himself. See, the punishment for sin is death. And Jesus, the Son of God, said, I will willingly give my life on behalf of you and you and you and all of us. Can you imagine if you were on trial, your penalty is death. Can you imagine if you're your advocate? Can you imagine if your attorney would say, hey, if you would, do, if you would allow me to do this, I would like to pay that penalty for you. Now that takes some humility to accept that. Our, our natural tendency is to say no. I will die for myself. But one of the things that's important to know is that we cannot save ourselves. Imagine that, the, that your attorney approaches the bench and the judge is there and the judge says, are you sure you want to do this? And just imagine that your attorney says, father, yes, I do. And the judge is your attorney's father. See, this is an incredible thing to consider that all of us are complicit because Jesus gave his life he laid down his own life as a ransom for us. If you've seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, then there's no doubt that those images are vivid in your mind. Um, you've seen how incredibly he was tortured, the, the violence that was depicted, that was done to Jesus. And I believe that the movie still doesn't come uh, to the place that reality happened. Uh, in fact, it says in the book of Isaiah, a prophecy about Jesus, uh, Isaiah fifty two fourteen says, but many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one could scarcely know he was a man. Jesus so beaten up, his face so torn apart, his back just open wounds. And yet, why did he do this? From the greatest evil came the greatest good. There was something supernatural that happened at the death of Jesus, unlike any other leader there was some supernatural transaction that was taking place. And we know this as something called propitiation. Now, maybe that's a word you don't know. Let me explain it in context. In 1 John 2, 2, it says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also, also listen, for the sins of the whole world. You and I are guilty. The word propitiation is Payment. The word propitiation is appeasement. So what I owed, what I, I was due, what I earned was death. And yet Jesus came as the payment for that. And as he became, came as the payment for that, 
It was at this time that there was a celebration of the devil. It was incredible darkness, but it became horror to them because the darkest day became, it really became the beautiful day. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, on that beautiful day, there were early seekers. It says, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women, women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now this was Sunday. I believe that one of the strongest evidences of the resurrection is that the Christian Jews moved their day of worship from Saturday to Sunday. Why would they do that? There was something that happened on that day. In fact, one of um, these evidences is that the women came to the tomb early because they were thinking that they were going to prepare the body for burial. And, and they were thinking, who's going to roll away the stone because they weren't able to finish what they had started on the day that Jesus was crucified. But I believe that there's an application for us here this morning as well. It says that they, they came very early in the morning. And I think it is so important for us not to procrastinate when it comes to spiritual things. On Easter Sunday um, in 1991, my dad received Christ as his Lord and Savior. Uh, years and years previous to that, we had prayed for him. We had talked to him about the Lord. I, I remember he was the hardest person for me to ever talk to. Um, if you think of the person in your life that would be the hardest person to tell about Jesus, in, in my life, that was my dad. I still remember one night um, when I wanted to go tell my dad about the Lord and um, I was nervous. It was on a Wednesday night after church. And I remember just the Holy Spirit just prompting me, go talk to your dad. I went to my dad's house and I knocked on the door. There was no answer. And at first I thought, okay, I'm off the hook. I did, I did my part. You know, I came to his house, but I noticed his car was in the driveway. So I went back and I, I knocked again and I knocked for about a minute and I pounded on the door. Dad, dad, I'm here. Dad, open the door. There was nothing. At the time, I didn't have a, a cell phone. So I went to a phone booth. Do you remember those things? Um, I went to one of those square things with a phone in it, and uh, I called up my dad, and it rang, and it rang, and it rang, and finally my dad answered, answered the phone. He said, hello? And I said, Dad, I, I was at your house. He said, oh, I'm sorry, I was asleep. My dad's hearing uh, isn't very good, even, even back then. And I said, Dad, I'm, I'm coming over. Can you open the door? And he said, okay. And I drove back over to his house, and he opened the door, and I'll tell you, one of the, my heart was beating out of my chest. And I remember talking to my dad about you know, just small talk because I didn't know how to bridge the gap to that conversation, how to open it up. And finally I said, Dad, you know, I was at church tonight and I just was praying for you and I felt like it was important for me to come and tell you this. Um, it, your soul is important to God. And, and Jesus said, and Jesus talked about what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? And then my dad, to my surprise, finished my sentence. He said, and yet forfeit his soul. I said, yeah, dad. I said, that's, that's what he said. Because even if you gain everything, but you don't have Jesus, then, then at the end, you, you have nothing. And so he didn't pray with me that night. Um, I just remember him saying, well, thanks. And then he, he gave me some other advice. It was almost like we were trading advice. But it was a few years after that, that the, the seeds had been planted from my family and other people where my dad was finally ready to receive Christ and to, on Easter Sunday, pray. But you know, one of his biggest regrets is that he didn't come sooner. At age 62, he felt like 
I mean, tears came down my dad's face when he, he actually stood up and walked forward to, to pray a prayer, a, a public declaration of his faith. And afterwards, he said, I feel so much peace. And, and he said, I'm just, I'm just sad I didn't do it earlier. You know, because there had been a lot of mistakes, a lot of things he had done in his life that he had regretted. I think these early seekers teach us to come early. It says in verse 3, um, as it happened, they were greatly perplexed. Or verse 4, they couldn't find the body of Jesus. They were, they were perplexed. They found the stone rolled away. They didn't understand. And two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember? Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? Again, the fact that they were perplexed is an evidence of the resurrection to me. They weren't expecting this. This is something that that caught them off guard. But there weren't just early seekers. There were early skeptics. There were people early on that didn't believe. It says, then they remembered his words. So they returned from the tomb. They told all the things to the, to the 11. Minus Judas Iscariot, these are the apostles. It says in verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles, and their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Who were these skeptics? Were they atheists? No. Who were they? They were, they were his apostles, his disciples. They'd spent three years with him. They'd seen him um, do miracles. They talked with him. And yet they were skeptical. Again, I really believe another evidence that this is valid is this. Um, there was actually a, a Greek historian who was a skeptic that said, and, and I'm not saying this, he said this. He said, the gospel accounts of Jesus cannot be true because it was women who brought the story. Now, the testimony of a woman culturally at that time, it, it wasn't held up as equal to the testimony of a man. Now, why do I say that that helps build some authenticity into the gospels? If you are fabricating something in that culture, you wouldn't use the women as the primary eyewitnesses because there would be some people that would immediately discredit your story back then. I'm not saying it's right, it, it's not. But what I am saying is this, if it were fabrication, they would have used men. It's just one of the other evidences. And I also think it's important to know that these guys, they were religious guys, they were around Jesus, but yet at this point, they still didn't believe. But one guy did. There was one guy that when he heard this, he actually got up and ran. The other gospel in John says that there was another disciple whom Jesus loved. We know that that was, that was John himself. Isn't that cool how he gave himself that title? The yeah. disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, <laughs> Peter ran when he heard it. It says in verse 12, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Now, um, as an adult, how, I mean, some of you run because it's fun, you know, or you like it, or you want to be in shape. But how many of you have ever run recently, not with tennis shoes and not in a park or not with, you know, your workout outfit, but just run because of an urgency for something? I mean, it's been a while since I've sprinted for urgency. 
Peter sprinted. And I think that he sprinted because if you remember, before Jesus died, when he was talking to Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented or when you have turned again to me, strengthen your brothers. And Peter after that said, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you know me. I think that Peter remembered the garden. He wanted to back up the claims. He took his sword, tried to uh, kill the guard. I think Peter also remembered shortly after that, that warming his hands at the enemy's fire, that he denied Christ three times. And after the third time, um, the rooster crowed. And then he looked and he caught eye contact with Jesus. And it says he went out and he wept bitterly. Maybe today you're thinking, man, in my life, I I believe this. In fact, maybe when I was younger, I I actually was a person of faith. I I followed Jesus, but man, I've, I've messed up. I've done some stupid things. I have I've hurt some people. I have, I've made some bad decisions. I've followed some sin patterns in my life. Maybe this morning, like Peter, you're kind of on the outskirts and you're here. But you're thinking, this story is for good people. It's not for me. This story is for religious people. This story is for the people who have, they have their lives together. And maybe you're in the shadows, the outskirts. How dark was this time for Peter? And yet, when the angel came in the book of Mark, I want, to li- I want you to listen to this. He said to the women, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they have laid him. Now listen to this. But go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. I think the thing that caused Peter to run is that when the women came back and they shared about the empty tomb, and everyone thought they were idle tales. Peter was listening, and then they said, and Peter, he asked for you. Man, I think Peter's heart started to beat. I think Peter thought there might be hope. I think Peter ran to, found out, to find out whether or not this was true. You find out afterwards that there were also people on that day with burning hearts. There were these two guys that walked with Jesus. Uh, we know this as the road to Emmaus. And Jesus, who disguised himself um, after the resurrection, was walking with these two guys. I would love to be able to do that. I would love to be able to just kind of disguise myself and just talk to people and them not know who I was. And he's walking with them. They don't know who he is. And, and he said, what's going on? And they said, are you the only person that doesn't know what's happened? I mean, everybody knows about Jesus and, and him being crucified and, and all of these things and the rumors about him and all the things that were said. And then it says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This morning, it's important for us to understand that if Jesus was using the Old Testament to talk about himself, I imagine him starting in Genesis chapter three with Adam and Eve and the fall, and yet God clothed them with animal skins. As he clothed them with animal skins, something had to die in order to cover their sin. I believe he said, That pointed to Jesus. That pointed to the Christ. I think he took them later on to Genesis chapter 22 about about Abraham and Isaac taking his son, his only son whom he loved, putting the wood on his back, him walking up the hill to willingly be sacrificed. And I believe that, that Jesus said that pointed to the Christ, that pointed to Jesus. 
You could go all the way through Exodus as the brazen serpent or the sacrificial system and the Passover lamb. Joshua, God is salvation, bringing the people into the land. The book of Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. Jonah in the belly of the fish for three days. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, Psalm 22. And I believe that when they got to it, their hearts were burning. It says this, that as he shared these things with them, then they broke bread with him because they wanted him to stay with them. As soon as they broke bread and, they, and they, he blessed it and broke it, had communion with them, their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another in verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? In verse 35, they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. This morning, maybe your heart burns. I know that before I came to Christ, my heart was burning. And I pray that the Holy Spirit, if you're open to God, I believe that 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 feeling in your chest is the Lord knocking at your door. It says in the book of Revelation that Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. That whoever would open up the door, I would come in and have fellowship with him and him with me. And so as we close, why is the resurrection so important? It's important because the resurrection has everything to do with the theme of life that we've been looking at this morning. Jesus said to her, he said to Martha, because her brother Lazarus had died, he said to Martha, I am the resurrection and what? And the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This morning I said, you're gonna have an opportunity to respond if you believe that this is true. Jesus asked Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe that this is true? When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, I want you to know that the word life there is not the word bios. In biology, that's a study of living things. That's a, if there's an organism that is taking on oxygen and it is growing, there's something physically that's alive. Jesus here is talking about something different. He uses the word zoe, which is quality of life. This is the abundant life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the abundant life. I'm purpose, I'm meaning. In fact, when we consider the meaning of life, this morning, it is absolutely important. Could the resurrection be true? There was an empty tomb. If, if the Romans just wanted to quelch the, the rumors, what could they have done? Here's the body. They would have held up the body and that would have been it. Christianity would have been no more. There's no followers. The tomb was guarded by Roman soldiers that would die if they, if they allowed someone to come in and be grave robbers. See, the tomb was empty. There were eyewitnesses to the tomb. They came. There was the testimony of the eyewitnesses, the women that came to prepare the body for burial, the gospels. Um, if this was a lie, if this was not true, then imagine this, that these apostles that were afraid and skeptical, they died for a lie. It says that Paul, the apostle himself, um, you know, Paul was, was executed. Peter was crucified upside down because he felt like he wasn't worthy to be crucified as the same way as his Lord. Uh, John was boiled in oil. They died brutal deaths. Would you die a brutal death like that for something that you knew was not true? See, just before the resurrection, there's doubting. But all of a sudden, they, they saw something. They saw 
the risen Christ. The third thing that we see is the lasting impact on their lives. Um, it was not a, a, a short emotional burst. There was a lasting impact that changed the world. And so this morning, we are going to respond. What is the meaning of life? Do you want to find purpose? Maybe purpose in your suffering. You know what the resurrection shows me? After Jesus died, what did he show Thomas? If you know the account, he showed him his hands that were scarred. He showed them his side where the spear had gone through. Now, why did the scars remain? I believe that the scars remain not only to show us that he loved us, but I believe that the scars remain to show us that in the resurrection, even our suffering has meaning. There's a lot of suffering in this world I don't understand. I don't know why. I don't know why these people suffer and these people don't. And yet if the resurrection is true and we hold fast in our faith to that, somehow it all makes sense. Somehow God brings that meaning all together. It shows us that our temporary suffering will only increase the glory and the joy later on. In fact, there's significance in the resurrection. If the resurrection is true, then that means I'm not going to live my life looking to fulfill my life by simply finances. Financial setbacks don't crush me as much. And financial booms when things are going well, they don't, they don't have as much purpose in my life because I know that this life isn't the end in and of itself. Achievements. Achievements, those that have eternal impact have an exponential return. And finally, relationships and hope. If the resurrection is true, guess what? It means that anxiety and stress can be reduced. I'm not saying that it's not, it's gone. I'm saying it's reduced because I know that everything doesn't hinge on this world. I know that my whole life isn't defined by relationships with others or, you know what else? It gives me the courage to take risks and steps of faith. And so this morning, as you respond, number one, we're going to show a video in a moment, but I'm going to have you respond. Some of you, today is the day. Don't procrastinate. I'm going to pray a prayer after this video. And if that is your heart, if you would like to, I'm going to lead you in a prayer by faith where you can receive Christ as your Savior, as your Lord. The second thing is we are going to have some people baptized as an outward sign of an inward change. And the third thing is to consider how the resurrection motivates me to bring life into this life. Let's pray and then we'll go ahead and show this video. Father, we thank you so much for the, the message of the resurrection. Lord, we know it's more than just a, a religious, cultural thing. And so, Father, I pray that you would unite our hearts in faith. That, Lord, as we consider these things this morning and what this means to us, that we wouldn't just check it off of our list of a religious duty. Father, we want so much more than that. And we thank you that Jesus came to die for our sins. And that in his resurrection, it means that all of this is true. It means that, Lord, this is not the end of the story. And God, we thank you that this is a story that gives meaning to every other story. This is the story that gives meaning to our lives because, Lord, it's true. We ask that you would draw us close, that your, your Holy Spirit would lead and guide this time. In Jesus' name, amen.
as uh, the worship team um, just starts to lead us into a time of worship, I told you at the beginning, so I, 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 it's not like a surprise, that uh, there is an opportunity to respond by faith in one of three ways. Maybe this morning you've never received Christ as your Lord and your Savior, and you want that life. You want that meaning, that purpose. You want to know the sense of being forgiven, the sense of being one with God. Um, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that life always uh, is rosy and everything is, is easy, but it means that there's peace in the middle of the storm. And when we begin to sing, I'm going to ask you to do something as a step of faith. I'm going to ask you to stand up and come right up here to the front, and I'm going to pray with you. Some of you that are ready to be baptized, um, after the prayer, you'll have an opportunity to go out and to go ahead and, and change. And if that is you and you are um, desiring today to be baptized, I'd like you to come forward as well. And maybe if you have been away from the Lord, and today is a day where, man, there was something that hit you and your heart was beating, your heart's burned just like the two guys on the road to Emmaus. You're saying, today is the day, Lord, I, I, just, I just ask for a fresh start. I pray for your cleansing. I just pray that you would help me to continue to, to grow close to you. It's about that relationship. It's not about religion. And so by faith, I'm just going to ask you to go ahead where you are, just stand up, come right up here to the front, and we are going to pray together. And it's important to do this, not as a public spectacle, but as a public declaration, declaration to say, this is who I am. This is what I believe, and I'm declaring it. And there's so much freedom that comes with that. And so I'm going to pray and have you come forward as we worship. Jesus, again, we thank you for trampling death because of your death. We thank you that because of you, we are made one again. And Lord, I pray for new faith for those that have never received Christ. I pray for strong, confirmed faith for those that would desire to be baptized today. And Father, I pray for a faith that comes, Lord, in the midst of difficulty, like Peter, that they would run forward, knowing, Lord, that you are the God of grace and love and mercy. So, God, we thank you. This morning, it's a true joy and, and with gratitude that we celebrate. We thank you, Lord. So, by faith, your people come, and we ask that you would bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Just come, and if the Lord leads you to, and you believe these things are true, and the Lord has prompted you, just come and stand up here in the front. We're going to pray together. Amen. Before we pray, is there anyone else that would like to come forward? You know, it's uh, something that is important because it's with the heart one believes, but it is with the mouth one confesses. And Jesus said, if you confess me before, my uh, before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. And um, I believe that there's a joy that comes and a, a, a boldness to say, God, I just, I give everything to you. And so anyone else like to come forward? All right, we're going to pray. As we do this, um, first of all, I'm going to pray. If anyone would like to receive Christ, then you would repeat after me. And, and really, it's not a magic prayer. You're not joining a, um, you know, a, a religion as much as it is. You're just saying, I do to the Lord. God, I, I do. Jesus... Thank you for dying for me. Please come into my life and fill me with your spirit. I want to give you control of my life and I ask that you would forgive me. 
I thank you for this fresh new start today. I thank you for the resurrection that shows me that I have life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Then uh, I would also like to pray for those of you that are going to be baptized today. Lord, I just thank you for these that are coming forward to be baptized. Because, Lord, they're declaring to their family, to their friends, to the body here that, that you are their Savior, that you are their Lord. And, Lord, we rejoice with them. We ask that you would strengthen them today. We pray that as their faith in you is affirmed and confirmed, that, that Lord, this would be a special day marking a time in their lives where, Lord, you are at work. May you continue that good work that you have begun. And Lord, I pray for anyone that has been far from you, that today is a fresh start. Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, I know that there have been many times in my own life when I've needed those fresh starts. And God, I thank you that there's never a time when it's too late. I I pray, Father, for a relationship that's real. We don't want to go through the motions we don't want to play church. We don't want to be religious. We, we really want that relationship with you. And so we love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.